This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the information, the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Man, what a day. It's Friday. It's Friday, by the way. Mm -hmm. She seems mad when she sings this. Oh, you know what? What a great week. Yeah, we're partying, partying. Yeah. Hey, folks, here's the deal. I don't know if you've been listening to the news, but D.C. is in a free fall. It's crazy what's going on in the GOP back in D.C. You heard Kevin McCarthy bowed out. He doesn't want he doesn't want to to run for Speaker of the House anymore. He's not going to do it. It's not him. Somebody they need somebody else. They need somebody else to do it. And. It not. I mean, people were crying when he made this announcement. Kevin McCarthy dropped out of House Speaker race, and when he did, people break down crying. You know why? Because it's crazy. Uh, the GOP is going to have to figure out how they get a divided House together. Not even divided Republican-Democrat, divided Republican-Conservative-Republican. And uh, so they're looking for names. If you got any names of who could step in and be Speaker of the House, apparently doesn't need to be someone from Congress. So I'm just going to throw out a few names, just a few. Uh, you know, it's, let's just say Donald Trump's thing doesn't work for president. Go be Speaker. He loves speaking. He's a deal maker. And he can brutally beat anyone up that he needs to verbally. There's Donald. I, I'm a big believer. Kasich would be fantastic, except, you know, the problem is you got to have somebody that the ultra conservatives can be a can buddy up to that they can trust. Paul Ryan is the one they want. Past vice presidential running mate with Mitt Romney. But, you know, Paul Ryan doesn't want to go near this thing. This thing's a crazy mess, because how do you take just the moderate average, let's say, GOP member? And then you have to get kind of the Tea Party or side of the, the party and somehow make everyone friends. It's one of the toughest things. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about today is not so much the political polarization, but if you've noticed, the country itself is incredibly deeply polarized. And today we'll be speaking with uh, Dr. Michael Beam, who's got who's been doing the research on it. He's from Kent State University, and uh, it's possible that this huge division we have, you know, between Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, this huge polarization you're seeing in the country. What if I told you that it was from legislation created in the 90s? Would you believe it? Just simply a telecommunications act from 1996 has polarized the country because it took 
all of the media organizations back then and basically divided it or, you know, enabled it to basically be owned by six large corporations. And with six large corporations, you can now fairly easily pick sides. And we are. And so anyway, uh, he'll be speaking with us in just a few minutes. Dr. Michael Beam about uh, polarization. And hopefully that'll give us some ideas. Maybe he'll have some ideas of who can who can fix that. In fact, maybe that's what the, they need to be doing in Congress is changing that legislation from 1996. We'll be getting into that. Uh, but we also, oh, holy cow, as if life wasn't dark enough, do we really need a, a, a black whopper? I mean, do you really need a whopper? From Burger King with like a dark black, it actually looks purplish, bun. Ugh. It ain't pretty. And it's not good for your health. I mean, it's actually probably a normal Whopper. Except, uh, I guess it, when it passes through you, it ain't pretty. The Black Whopper. Terry can't even produce, I believe I'm talking about this. But it's. It's out there, folks. So, you know, if, if, you, if you're in need of something that is scary for Halloween to eat, I'd go with the Whopper. It, the neat thing about it, it'll scare you for days. <laughs> yeah, it'll scare you for days. Anyway, we've got a great show for you today. Um, we're going to be getting uh, with Dr. Michael Beam in just a minute. But before we do that, let's toss it over to Kathy Ake and find out uh, what happened this week in the Week in Review. Everyone, President Obama is scheduled to meet today with the families of the victims in last week's deadly college shooting in Oregon. After the mass shooting that killed nine and injured nine others, the president called for Americans to push for stronger gun control legislation. Spencer Stone, one of three Americans hailed a hero in the French train attack in August, was stabbed near Sacramento and is listed in stable condition. Stone was stabbed four times in the chest yesterday morning and the incident is under investigation. The death toll due to the flooding in the Carolinas has now reached 19. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of people that have a lot of of opinions. What I will tell you is this is a thousand-year flood, and we have thousands of dams in this state. And, you know, there'll be a lot of things we can go back after this and say, okay, where do we go from here? South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley said 62 dams across the state were being monitored and 13 have already failed. Senator Lindsey Graham warned the disaster could, quote, break the bank of federal emergency funds, possibly reaching $1 billion. South Carolina's football game against LSU is being moved to Louisiana tomorrow. The FBI investigation into Hillary Clinton's email situation now includes data from a second tech company. A company out of Connecticut was hired to back up data from Clinton's server. Officials say it's not clear whether the backup company has all of Clinton's emails from her time as Secretary of State. On Wednesday, Clinton finally weighed in on President Obama's trade deal. The agreement that includes the U.S. and 11 Pacific Rim nations was agreed upon earlier this week, but Clinton says she's concerned over currency manipulation and added benefits for pharmaceutical companies. I'm worried about currency manipulation not being part of the agreement. We've lost American jobs to uh, the manipulations that uh, countries, particularly in Asia, have engaged in. Clinton's announcement goes against Obama as well as Vice President Joe Biden, who may be Clinton's competitor if he jumps into the presidential race. 
Russian fighter jets have shadowed U.S. Predator drones on three separate occasions high above Syria since Russia began its air campaign. The Russians have not shot down any of the drones flying over ISIS-controlled areas, but flew close enough to make their presence known. Pentagon Press Secretary Peter Cook said they're open to more talks with the Russians, though no date has been established. The airstrike on a Doctors Without Borders hospital in Afghanistan was a mistake. That according to General John F. Campbell during a Senate Armed Services Committee hearing this week. On Saturday morning, our forces provided close air support to Afghan forces at their request. To be clear, the decision to provide aerial fires was a U.S. decision made within the U.S. chain of command. A hospital was mistakenly struck. The attack killed 19 people. Doctors Without Borders is calling for an international investigation. The U.S. military has pledged a full investigation of its own. The Justice Department is scheduled to release nearly 6,000 federal prisoners at the end of the month. The move is part of a new sentencing guidelines for drug crimes established last year. The guidelines will reduce penalties on certain nonviolent drug offenders, and the time frame for the release is October 30th through November 2nd. The search for the cargo ship lost during Hurricane Joaquin in the Bahamas was called off. I want the families to really know how committed we were to finding their loved ones, to finding our fellow professional mariners, and really to find those who go down to the sea in ships and do work upon great waters. I hope the families can take some small measure of peace from that. Coach Guard Captain Mark Fedor. 33 crew members were on board, 28 of those from the United States. During an American Airlines flight from Phoenix to Boston on Monday, the captain, Michael Johnston, died of an apparent heart attack. His wife, Betty, said she and her husband are the parents of eight children ages 12 to 34. The co-pilot landed the aircraft safely in Syracuse. General Mills on Monday issued a recall of some Cheerios and Honey Nut Cheerios because some boxes of the cereal were labeled gluten-free and contained wheat. General Mills said the wheat flour was inadvertently introduced to the gluten-free oat flour system in an isolated incident. California Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill this week that would allow physicians to prescribe lethal doses of drugs to allow those with terminal illnesses to end their own lives. The Catholic Church and Advocates for People with Disabilities opposes the legislation. The winner of the latest Powerball jackpot has come forward. 50-year-old Julie Leach of Three Rivers, Michigan, is a supervisor at a fiberglass company and the sole winner of the $310.5 million prize. Oh, I quit automatically. (laughs) I was done. (laughs) She called her job nasty and dirty. The mother of three chose a lump sum of $197.4 million, so after taxes, she'll take home $140 million. With the weekend review. I'm Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Kathy. And uh, man, what a week it has been. We've survived it. It's Friday. And in just a few minutes, we're going to be bringing on Dr. Michael Beam from Kent University, and he is going to um, walk us through this polarized world we live in. There, There are reasons, folks. There are reasons why we are so polarized as a nation. One of them may simply be a, you know, A legislative move or maneuver that was made in the 1990s, a simple telecommunications act. It's changed the media we listen to, how we listen to it, and it's been dividing us. Stick with us, folks. Dr. Michael Beam from Kent State University will be here to to, uh, teach us about uh, this polarization effect. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have a favorite news station, a source where you receive the majority, let's say, of your political information? Have you noticed that they're all skewed different directions? Some more liberal, some more conservative, some supposedly neutral. In 1996, the Telecommunications Act was passed in hopes of expanding competition in news broadcasting. Studies, however, have since showed that the lawmakers believe that the act would achieve um, the the goals that they thought the act would achieve has actually had the opposite effect. Since passing of the Telecommunications Act in 1996, 90% of all modern media is now owned by only six large corporations, Disney, GE, News Corp, Viacom, Time Warner, and CBS. So rather than smaller media corporations having a voice in the field, top dogs like ABC, NBC, CNN, and Fox News are buying smaller media corporations and using them as mouthpieces for their biased news. And according to our uh, next guest, Dr. Michael Beam, who's been researching this, um, it's having the polarizing effect that we're all seeing out there in the nation. Where He's here to talk to us and uh, kind of walk us through his thinking and the research. Dr. Michael Beam from Kent State University, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Talk, talk to us about this. I mean, is, is it really possible that one legislative act from the 1990s has created this polarized state we're in? I think to say that the, the act created the polarized state we're in might be overstating a little, a little bit. Uh, I think there are other factors, certainly, uh, that lead to the polarized world we're in right now. Uh, but the Telecommunications Act of 96 and subsequent um, conglomeration, as you were talking about there, yeah. uh, has certainly contributed to uh, this rise in polarization. So we have we have fewer news owners, companies right. that that own the the stations, and then um, and then I guess it's like CNN, uh, ABC, Fox, there and NBC. They're out buying smaller entities. So so really, we're just hearing fewer and fewer voices. Right. The the, the strange thing about this though is that. Even though we have fewer owners, we have a lot more channels. Mm. Uh, so the Telecommunications Act, which was trying to relax media regulation to allow uh, telephone companies and cable companies and broadcasters to have more competition, uh, actually led to uh, the media environment where now you can have you know, 500 channels uh, on your TV. So in that way... This act worked because now we have access to a lot more information than we did 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, but when you have that many channels, instead of trying to play to a mass audience, it then there's an economic incentive for these few corporations that own a lot of channels to sort of carve out their audiences. Okay. And that's why we see this rise in partisan news. Uh, channels like Fox News that cater to conservatives or MSNBC that caters to liberals uh, because now there's this economic incentive to find a smaller, uh, more specialized audience. And, and largely that's worked. And it's and it's financially advantageous. I mean, you can share resources. You can you could send one or two reporters that could cover it for three or four entities. 
Is right. that how that's Absolutely. working now? Yeah, so it's yeah. – isn't that interesting? So all of a sudden, we seem like we're having this proliferation of channels, this abundance of channels, but really the content is shrinking to fewer and fewer views. That's right. And, and also what we see when we have more and more channels, we know through social psychology that people like to view things that align with their interests. Right. right. So if, if I'm interested in um, news, I'll probably turn to a channel that's covering the stuff I'm interested in. But if I'm interested in sports or I'm interested in cooking, if I have a channel that will allow me to escape to that, I'm going to choose those channels. So when we have these more channels, we have fewer people who are actually choosing to watch the news. And those that are watching the news are more into the news, yeah. they probably are more polarized politically because they think about politics more. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so it's kind of pushing everyone to the extreme. the The people in the middle are just watching, you know, T, you know, TLC. They're watching exactly a bunch of just basic stuff or their favorite food channel. the The extremes are going to go extreme, and then um, off they go. It's there's a really interesting dynamic I wanted to ask you about, Michael, because. For example, Donald Trump uh, leading in the polls in the GOP is actually taking on Fox News, the conservative voice of journalism, in, in a really kind of abrupt, harsh way. What's going on there, do you see? Well, I mean, I think what Donald Trump is appe- – he's appealing to, I think, the mass audience, th- those who are not as interested in politics – um, who are sick of it and sick of this polarization. And I think he's sort of turning on a lot of these uh, people who would rather not watch the news because it's so rote and predictable. Uh, so I think him taking on the establishment appeals to a lot of people. Yeah. And I guess they're, they're, he, he's appealing to the middle, who's, who's, who's not you know, loving either one of the, the parties on the extremes. I don't know if I'd call him the most centrist. No, oh, no, no, no. The middle of, I guess, the GOP. Right, right, right. The kind of the the the, the average citizen GOP member. Um, go back to the actual legislation because it seems like this is why it's important that we know what, what we're legislating because this is there's a system here, and if you change the system in 1996. It, it, you have no idea the impact it's going to have in twenty, you know, twenty fifteen. Right, <laughs> got to be careful. What what was it in the legislation? What was the actual goals, and then what what happened in reality? Well, the goals were uh, again to s- sort of spurn technological innovation and competition. So at that time in the mid nineties, the internet was starting to become um, more diffused to everyone. And because we had so much bandwidth available to us, it started to make sense to allow telephone companies and cable companies and broadcast companies to all be competing in the information delivery markets. Mm. So uh, now you can, you know, you can subscribe, you can get AT&T or Verizon to give you TV service, or you can get Time Warner or Comcast to give you phone service. Right. So the Telecommunications Act was trying to get those players in those different telecommunications sectors to compete with each other on all information. Um, so the, the way they did that is they were relaxing these ownership regulations where they had strict laws 
that said you can't own both a TV station and operate a cable system. Okay. So now, once this law passes, now you can have a Comcast who has many of their own channels, or you can have, um, you know, you can operate both a system and uh, a content creator. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So now we see that, like you said, this conglomeration has happened. So the people who are providing the channels are also creating the content. Mm. This is, yeah, and, and it's interesting because. So that was back in 96, and today there are how many wars going on? Now it's even, it's even being moved to the uh, mobile devices and the mobile Absolutely. companies. And yes. so this is really – this is – they opened up Pandora's box. They opened up the, the genies out. Things are going I mean, crazy. I think largely we are, we are benefiting from yeah. it in a way because we, we have – at our fingertips Everything on a we mobile need. phone, right. every bit of information. So part of this rise of polarization, I mean, we see in, in, a, in a study we just came out with that people who watch a lot of TV news over time are becoming more and more polarized in that they, they dislike or they're, they're less favorable about their out party than they are their in party. Now, what but do you I mean think, out party, in so, party? So if I'm a, if I'm a Republican and yeah. I'm asked – you know, how favorable do I see the Republicans and how favorable do I see the Democrats? The, the, the gap between those is rising. Okay, wow. At a rate that we didn't see in the years before the Telecommunications Act. Of yeah. Say. And, and, heavy, and you see a correlation, a, a direct correlation? Yes. Okay, but, wow. But I mean, uh, again, I think this is sort of on us as citizens. If, if we have access to all this information, we need to – Seek out information in a way that's, you know, going to keep us informed. Right. Um, not, yeah, not just placated, in, right. but informed. So, like, seek out alternative thought. Right. Yeah. Right. But Oh, but boy, Michael, that's so hard. It is hard. It's so it hard because then I have to sit there and listen to what I don't want to hear. I mean, there's so much, too, that just you just immediately – Assume so. If, if you're in, if you're a Republican, you just immediately hear something from Hillary, and you're like, ah, whatever. Yeah. And without even thinking about it, without even knowing the stories behind it, we we have these almost automatic reactions to each other now. Right, and we have research that shows if you know if you give the exact same news story to two people, um, and those two people are different in in their uh, political affiliations, if you attribute that news story to Fox News or you attribute that story to NBC or CNN, those people are going to react differently to the exact same content based on what that is. Just like you're saying, if if you hear a political candidate talk, if you know what their party is, if you have that signal, you're already doing this motivated processing to discount or believe what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You're already in your selection process. Like, and and you're, we're, we're, we're distorting it. Right. Emotion, we, have, we have an emotional reaction to it just based on where it's – where is it coming from? Oh, CNN? OK. Exactly. Interesting stuff. OK, Michael, let's take a break. We're speaking with okay. Dr. Michael Beam from Kent State University. He's giving us some, I think, incredible insight about our own media viewing, how you choose to watch uh, you know, politics and uh, maybe the impact it has on how we think – the choices we're making or not making, the decisions we have, the polarization of our society. And folks, remember, and he makes a great point, uh, these are your choices, right? This is your brain. 
we could, we could probably make different choices if we'd like to. We'll have more with Professor Michael Beam right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, polarization in the United States, especially as it's related to, you know, kind of the partisan media sources, political polarization, and, and where you get your information from, right? Everybody has their favorite stations, and it's it's interesting because as we were putting this show together, we were trying to decide what do we want to talk about because uh, I personally like politics, but when we started doing a lot of politics, my wife was like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to your show anymore because <laughs> it's hard. You don't you don't want to be I don't want to polarize it. What I try to do is like pretty much make fun of everybody and then learn what we can learn and see what's going on. Um, that sounds bad when I say I'm going to make fun of everybody. But, you know, in the political world, it's just so easy. But how do we how we go about viewing the choices we make in our own uh you know, media selection, it's it's important because it impacts how you see the world. It impacts what you think is truth. And joining us uh, on the phone is Dr. Michael Beam from Kent State University. He's in the School of Communication Study. He has a PhD there and is an assistant professor there. Um, his research is, is uh, he tends to investigate the impact of media systems on the process of information creation, exposure, and processing He's here today to talk about um, some legislation uh, back from way back in the day, 1996, if you can think back that far, the Telecommunications Act of 1996 and the impact it has on us today. Dr. Michael Beam, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Super, uh, I think, interesting topic because, again, if, if I don't want anything to do with the political kind of arena and the the, the polarization of that, then I'm just going to go maybe watch – people chase alligators that's right and um, open open your phone and go on facebook you know do do other things exactly yeah because we have so many other choices and then what's so amazing though when i get on facebook i'll still have an article from cnn and so even when i try to escape from it these sources even though they're few i mean we have so many channels now but so few kind of ownership uh choices um I still can find the news everywhere I go. Is is this only in the political arena that we see the polarization or is it in kind of all information? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think what we are seeing is selection in that we are selecting to choose the things that that we want to see that we're interested in. I haven't seen research that maybe says sports polarization in that I'm going to be more enthusiastic about my team okay, or, or something yeah. has risen. I don't know of that work, but it makes sense given that now, you know, I can go to 40 websites that are all dedicated to covering my team. Whereas, That's true. You know, before the Internet and before all these channels that we had, that was less likely. So it's really about the choice – that you like and then uh, that the individual person likes. 
Is that choice – is that what you're saying though is our choices are becoming kind of more binary? We, we, have a, we have a variety. We have 40 choices we can go to, but the content itself is really coming down to either or. Does that make sense? Is it, is it becoming more um, – am I becoming more liberalized? Or more conservativized, I don't know if that's the word. Am I becoming more liberal-minded simply because if I'm watching, uh, if I tend to watch a MSNBC show or an MSNBC series, will that make me see the world in a more liberal perspective? Well, we, we have research that shows that the more you're exposed to counterattitudinal ideas, things that oppose your viewpoint, the more tolerant you're going to be about those things. So if you're more mm. likely to be watching either intolerant or channels that are giving disproportionate coverage to a worldview that you already believe in, then it makes sense that you would essentially be hardening in your pre-existing yeah. predispositions. So if I go counter-attitudinal, I'll probably become more tolerant if if I stay with my choice, I'll probably become more rigid. Right. And and I mean, the, 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 there's certainly yeah. the, the aspect of if you watch something that is supporting your side, they're probably going to give some lip service to the other side's mm-hmm. argument, but they're going to tell you how to counter argue it. Yeah. Right. So So it's not just mere exposure to an opposing idea, but it's actual giving it real consideration. How is this different than than the way it would have felt in 1985? Because well, I think a lot of like our younger generations, they don't remember, you know, Dan Rather's news. They don't remember. Is it is it different? Didn't back then we go to Dan Rather because we like that slant? Right. Yes, and I, I think we still have a very popular. Uh, network nightly news that's appealing to a mass audience that's not highly partisan. I think that still exists. I think the big difference today uh, from 1985 or the past media regime is we, we have so many other options. We have so many other channels that now it's so much easier to tune out. Mm. And furthermore, not just tune out of the other side, but just tune out of news and politics in general. And then the other thing is the Internet allows us to uh, really have a geographically dispersed social network. So now instead of being tied to your friends and neighbors who might have different backgrounds and attitudes than you, now you can be texting with the people who have your similar interests. So your actual social network, the people you talk with, is also more likely to reflect your yeah. pre-existing attitudes of the world. Um, so just like this proliferation of partisan media that might reflect your beliefs, we also have more opportunity in today's media environment to be communicating with people who share our beliefs. Right. I'm not bound to my geography anymore. It's not my neighbors that are – the necessarily the ones that are going to skew my views it because I can get online and see or support my views. I can go talk to anyone, right? Get in, get in chat rooms, get in groups, get in organizations, watch the videos I want to see. 
interesting. I'm actually creating my own content. I'm my own director. Right. And the interesting thing is that on that sort of note, going on online forums, there's research that shows that you're more likely to be exposed online to counter-attitudinal news when you go on a non-explicitly political forum. So if you go to a forum about your hobby, if it's not news and politics, mm, it's more neutral. You're more like, right. You're, you're more likely to come across people who disagree with you and maybe share those stories. Awesome. So, so when you go topical, it's more neutral. When you go specifically political or whatever, it's more it's it's a little more slanted to your view, right? Interesting. So so really, I guess that is one way to kind of become healthier is not become. That sounds so bad. Uh, one way to be more open in our selections um, and and to go more counter attitudinal is you know be focused topically and get get into your the things the specialties you like because then you'll get a wider range of views. Right. In, in, in things that are not related to whatever that topic is. Right. Exactly. It's like work when you're just sitting in work and you'll hear kind of all views. Right. The water cooler. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a I mean, if, is it uh, what does the future look like? Because is this do we just continue creating more stations, uh, more escape mechanisms? Do we just continue to become more polarized? We're even seeing in Congress right now. I guess, you know, some of the impact of politically of this polarization and the chaos going on in Congress. Um, where, where do you see this going? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know exactly where it's going, but th- there is I mean, this isn't this sort of high partisan period is not unprecedented. Uh, we've seen in the United States history, uh, we may be at the most polarized we've been in 100 years but not over our, our course of our nation. Hmm. And in the late 1800s, we were very polarized as well. Um, and, and what we see in some political scientists think that what happens is when a political party gets so ideologically pure, when it gets so uh, polarized, that you now no longer appeal to the majority of people. So your party is then going to fall out of favor. Yeah. And you're going, to fig- you're going to need to figure out how to attract people who have more diverse ideas to your party. So it could be that we're stuck in this cycle where we're at a point where our parties are getting more and more pure, and then things are going to sort of blow up like you're talking about yeah. as, you, as you're seeing right now in, in Congress. Um, and, and I think there's been a lot of discussion, uh, especially for the Republican Party right now, how are they going to appeal to a larger base uh, – which may require them to be less ideologically pure. Hmm. Does does the fourth branch of government, the the journalists of the right. world, you know, they they used to be nonpartisan. Supposedly, they used to be objective, and um, they used to that used to be the great you know claim to fame was their neutrality. Is is that gone? I, I think, you know, that's a great question, and I think that's another thing that we see as a cycle. So, again, if we look back before the rise of radio and TV, which could appeal to a whole mass audience, before that, newspapers, when you had two and three newspapers per city, newspapers were very partisan. That's true. That's it, right? yeah. And so um, what then happened was uh, we have these broadcast stations that – cut into the media markets, 
And because of that, and because of another set of economic factors, you had many newspapers folding, and now you're down to a one newspaper town. And when you have a one newspaper, that newspaper is probably going to move center. Yeah, to, to get to yeah to everyone. Right, they got to sell more papers. Right. So, so I mean, again, maybe we're in a cycle, but I, I, I can't, I can't imagine with the rise of cable and the rise of satellite radio and uh, the internet that we're ever going to be in a place where we just have a few information outlets. I, I think the the box, the Pandora's box, is open there, and, and we're going to always have specialized media that, yeah. that is focusing on a very narrow thing. Uh, I don't think we'll go back to an era where the the primary audience is huge. It's a mass audience, and it's getting balanced information. Right. Oh, interesting. But, but, but those outlets exist. I mean, it's not like network news is all of a sudden hyper-partisan. I, I don't right. think it is. Well, and I guess, too, you've – I mean, you're, you'll get your sources. One company will own 10 – source 10 different uh, shows, programs, newspapers, or whatever. So – They'll get the audience just accumulated through multiple channels. Absolutely. Um, what do you think about the ratings game? And the ra- I mean, one of the, the, the big pushbacks we see today, for example, is Trump gets CNN such great ratings that CNN has Trump on every single day. And all of a sudden, um, the ratings boon starts to lead the, the content decision-making. I would assume, too, it would, it would eventually skew the – the objectivity. Right. And I, I think that's a, a great point. I, I think we've, what we've seen in terms of political coverage, we see this sort of horse race coverage at looking at polling, um, how Trump is doing versus his, his other opponents. That type of coverage is it's cheap to do. It's easy to do. It attracts a lot of people because you have this drama of the competition. Right. And that is... Uh, at the cost of spending more time talking about substantive issues. Um, so we do see news organizations um, favoring coverage that's going to attract more of an audience that might be uh, less apt to make people really deeply think about their decisions and be really informed. Hmm. Do you, so here's a, here's a fun one for you, Michael. So if the Democrats um, debate – the Democratic debate coming up just tanks in ratings. Do you predict? Uh, I don't know who's hosting it. Do you know who's hosting it? I don't know I if don't. it's. I was just. I was assuming it was CNN. I would say. Then do you predict that CNN will then all of a sudden become the conservative alternative, the GOP network? Hmm. <laughs> it's a weird idea, but if all of a sudden our. I mean, it used to be that that the service was being provided by the media to. To get access to the information of the journalists, or the uh, to get access of of the candidates, it is CNN that's that's hosting that debate, and I just all of a sudden it's becoming a ratings game. And is right. this is this is this more so? Do you see with the companies, the cable companies, than it is actually kind of the old networks? Yes, definitely. And uh, why? Why? I guess the old roots, probably. The old roots grew up in you were providing a service, not right. maybe a financial, I don't know. Right. And, and I think on cable, on, on cable channels, you're going to be 
competing with a lot more channels when you're on a cable system than when you're on a broadcast system. Yeah. Because so many more people just have antennas and are, are just getting broadcast TV. Um, so because you're in a more competitive environment when you're on cable, you're going to need to specialize. Furthermore, if we look at the cable channels, I mean, we look at a Fox News, they also have Fox broadcast, you know, the right. broadcast channel Fox, yeah. or you look at MSNBC, they also have NBC News. That's right. So like you said, they're one higher order organization that's appealing to the partisan audience and the nonpartisan mm. audience to yeah. get the biggest audience they can to maximize their advertising revenue. It, it really is. It's a, It's an interesting game. So I could talk to you forever, Michael. This is fascinating to me. What would you say as we we have to wrap it up? Um, what would you just say to the to the average consumers if we want to make sure we are not becoming so polarized, so that every time we hear something from the opposite party, we don't immediately just get sick? What what should we be doing to stay, you know, uh, mainstream healthy? Uh, I think if you can and if you have the time. Uh, it makes sense to try to have a diverse diet of news information. So look for news from multiple sources and also talk with people you disagree with that you know in, at, at work uh, to try to understand um, alternate perspectives. And, and the fact of the matter is, if you have a well-thought-out ideology, um, it's not like you're going to totally flip flip what you believe the world right. is, right. but you may be able to move in a way to, to compromise a little bit better. Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. And I mean, and there's just so many sources. The, the more you read, the more you just get a kind of a more balanced view. I think it's really powerful where you can actually just fight the entire argument in your own head and right. see the good and the bad of both sides and realize it's somewhere in the middle. Powerful stuff. Uh, Dr. Michael Beam, so appreciate you from Kent State University. Um, Really, folks, it's it's our lives. We've, we're the ones that have got to make these decisions and be informed. If immediately you have this visceral reaction to something you're hearing, you're probably not hearing the whole story. You, you might be too polarized in your view. Remember, there's a lot of gray in the world. It's not always black and white. And it also depends on the source it's coming from, right? Good stuff. We'll uh, we'll take a break. Come back and wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Trying to depolarize if we can. Neutralize. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, BYU Radio, it's a fairly conservative organization. And uh, so when I started the program, I just started reading. I was reading everything, right? But I was probably more, I'm still more conservative as a person. Um, But the more I read and the more information I get, and we're reading all the sources, what, what I'm learning basically is... Everyone's got some truth. No one has it all. And in reality, when it comes to in the political world, for example, you need to be able to to understand the whole situation. 
Um, because every issue that comes down to, to to the nuts and bolts, we can probably agree to to many things. We talk about gun control. We talk about the shootings in uh, the shooting in the mass shooting in Oregon. We all agree we shouldn't have mass shootings, right? We all agree that. We all agree mental health is an important thing we've got to figure out. We all agree, uh, you know, Second Amendment guns. They're they're in the they're in the Constitution. We also could probably agree certain people shouldn't have guns, right? That's why we don't like have them in prison. We just agree to a bunch of stuff. We fight though. We fight other things. We fight kind of the extremes. We fight. We even we actually just end up fighting in the minutia, and we overlook the fact that we agree on so much. The more you read, the more I think all of us will find out we really agree on a lot of stuff. But it's really it's it's pretty powerful when all of a sudden you can look at a candidate and realize that, you know, they're not perfect. And what they're saying here is a flip flop from here. And look where the source is coming from. And this is why they're talking about it that way. You just become more mature in your evaluation. It doesn't mean you can't hold firm to principles. You can have principles and be informed and be a little bit more tolerant. And the amazing thing about the more information you get about life, the more tolerant you can actually become. So we got to be careful in what we're choosing and how we choose to uh, to view our media. And it's also, by the way, not enough to just go st- stick your head in the sand and say, yeah, that's why I don't get into the political stuff. It's just too – I just get too angry. OK, I get that. But what are you getting when you're just watching shows about – you know, capturing gators. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got to go vote. And when you go vote, the gator show probably didn't help you make that decision. So you're more inclined to just go, I guess, vote on what you think, you know, based on what you heard on the one station you listened to that one day, that one time. Folks, if we want to change our world, we've got to get uh, get more involved. And it's going to demand work, right? It's going to demand work. But it's also going to inform you. And amazingly, you'll be less angry. I really believe that. Less polarized, less angry. We'll take a break. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to today. It's Friday, my friends. It's Friday. You can relax now. Well, not yet. You got to get to work, finish your day. Then you can relax, you know, get out in the yard, start raking those leaves. By the way, while you're raking the leaves, this just in, you might not want to throw them away. Because for the low, low price of $19.99, you might be able to sell those leaves to someone else. The children love it. Yeah, thanks to one Boston entrepreneur, you can now enjoy the New England fall foliage without the looming threat of the miserable winter. Kyle Waring has launched a website called shipfoliage.com, 
And what he does, it's exactly what it says it does. He will ship out some leaves to you so you can now enjoy the fall foliage right to your doorstep. It only costs $19.99 or $6.66 a leaf. Listen, folks, if you really need some leaves, I'll give them to you for a buck a leaf. I'm going to shortchange. I'm going to give you the best deal. All the leaves you need, $1 a leaf. Hey, hey, hey. A quarter a leaf. One quarter a leaf. Free shipping and we have a deal. Free shipping. I will ship them for free. But how many leaves do you want? You have to order at least a dozen. So is it 25 cents per individual leaf? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you want them wet? Those are more. Oh. I'll give you – those are like 50 cents a little. What about like grass clippings? Grass clippings? I'll throw in a bag of grass clippings for 10 bucks. A whole bag. 30-pound bag. Wet grass clippings. Okay. I'll take 10 leaves. Wow. And a bag of grass clippings. Oh, yeah. A sucker is born every day, folks. Ah, Let me me figure out what that's going to cost you, sir. Can you believe – are you really buying leaves? I get it. You miss the old fall leaves. Are you going to spend $6.66 a leaf? I'm sure they're really big, beautiful leaves, like big maple leaves. Mm. Different, beautiful colors. Okay. Well, anyway, it's working. If you want to, uh, if you want to do that, $19.99, three leaves you'll get. Here's some other great news for you if you're, if you're keeping score. World's oldest woman, 116 years old. That's a big deal. What will you be doing when you're 116? I will be about six feet under a big pile of leaves. Uh, apparently, though, the oldest woman in the world, 116 years old, says that uh, eating bacon every day is the key to a long life. But the world's oldest woman, she swears by it, Susanna Mushat Jones, keeps a steady diet of bacon, eggs, and grits for breakfast. Bacon makes everything better, she says. That's a sign in her kitchen. Bacon makes everything better. You know what it wouldn't make better? A black Whopper. It doesn't matter. I mean, it'll taste like a Whopper with bacon. But again, you'll pay for it for days. World's oldest woman, bacon every day. We've had another lady that was in her hundreds that her key was uh, Dr. Pepper every day. It's actually three Dr. Peppers a day. So you know what? If you really want to live long, three Dr. Peppers a day and a handful of bacon. It does the body good. Um, And some other news, uh, Facebook is – will be adding some flexibility to how users choose to like a post – But it won't be the dislike button, as some people have speculated. Instead, Facebook is testing emoji reactions where users can pick emotions such as sad, ha-ha, love, and wow to express how they feel about a post. By the way, it sounds pretty much like your vocabulary, Ben. Like, I'm sad, ha-ha, love, wow. Wow. Sounds like your last date. As you can see, uh, it's not just going to be the dislike button anymore. So now you have all of these other choices. I mean, have you ever like – you've seen something on Facebook 
but there's no way to really comment on whether you like it or not. So if you think it's a crazy idea, you can just kind of say, wow. Is that a wow or wow? See, this is where emojis get complicated. You need more you need more emo in the emoji. They need to put like inclinations on oh. the emoji so yeah. you know whether to go up or down. That's a great that's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea at all. Yeah, they they need like inflections. They they need like tildes or whatever they are from the other from other languages have accentos, I don't know what you call them, where you know how to act, how to accent the Anyway, also by the way, today's fire prevention day. Uh, so f- today, let's not start any fires. Prior Fire Prevention Day is there to raise awareness of practices that can help prevent disasters. You had to do it, didn't you? You have to play that silly explosion every chance you can. Right? And don't just say, Wow. I'm sad, Matt. I'm sad. (laughs) Don't be sad. Also, World Egg Day, which if you want to live longer, great. Have some eggs, but make sure you have a handful of bacon. And my favorite day is Moldy Cheese Day. Mm. Does that not just sound like the perfect breakfast? Eggs, moldy cheese. Do you like blue cheese, Ben? He says yes with a head nod. We're still teaching Ben about radio. Uh, but he did give me a head nod on that. The affirmative head nod on the moldy cheese. Affirmative. Good. I love it. I love blue cheese. And I show my kids. See that little green, bluish part right there? That right there? That's mold. Watch Daddy eat it. And then I get it on my teeth, and they're like, Dad's gross. Anyway, um, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, in the past week or two, we've been talking a lot about forgiveness And we've been trying to get on um, an expert from Stanford who has uh, done extensive research on the topic of forgiveness and the impact it has on your happiness. And he wrote the book, Forgive for Good, A Proven Prescription for Health, Happiness, and a Stress-Free Life. Um, It's it's important information. I even saw it again yesterday, a wonderful uh, client of mine who had lost her husband in a tragic uh, car accident. Um, that was by by a drug a drunk driver, and now she's left raising her kids, and it's it's hard, and she doesn't quite know how to to move on and to to let go, and she doesn't want to let go. So we'll be talking to Dr. Frederick Luskin from Stanford, who'll be joining us in a minute. He conducts many workshop workshops on the topic of forgiving, and he's just going to help us understand what we what it is, what it isn't. And how we can kind of cut through it and uh, get to that peace that comes when we do forgive. So we will be talking to him in just a minute. But before we do that, let's go to Kathy Aiken and and, uh, hear about our week in review. Good morning, everyone. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is warning residents there could be more risks of flooding. The governor visited the coast where rivers continue to rise and head toward the Atlantic Ocean. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of people that have a lot of of opinions. What I will tell you is this is a thousand-year flood, and we have thousands of dams in this state. And, you know, there'll be a lot of 
things we can go back after this and say, okay, where do we go from here? The death toll due to the flooding in the Carolinas has reached 19, and the damage could top $1 billion. President Obama is scheduled to visit Roseburg, Oregon today. The president will have a closed-door meeting with families of the victims in last week's shootings at the local community college. Nine people were killed and nine others injured. Chris Mintz, the 30-year-old Army veteran who tried saving lives during that deadly shooting, has been released from the hospital. Mintz was shot in the back, abdomen, and has two broken legs. He sounded a fire alarm before running back to his classroom. The man told the shooter it was his son's birthday, but was shot twice more by the gunman, who later killed himself. One of the three Americans who subdued a gunman on a train headed to France was stabbed four times in the chest yesterday morning. Spencer Stone is in stable condition, and the incident is under investigation. After supporting President Obama's trade deal while Secretary of State 45 times, Hillary Clinton on Wednesday said she doesn't support the agreement in its final form. I have said from the very beginning that we had to have a trade agreement uh, that would create good American jobs, raise wages, and advance our national security. I think that there are still a lot of unanswered questions. The Trans-Pacific Partnership free trade deal is supported by Vice President Joe Biden, a possible contender to Clinton in the presidential race. The Coast Guard has called off its search for survivors of the cargo ship that went missing near the Bahamas last week. The ship left Jacksonville, Florida on Thursday with 33 crew members on board, 28 of those from the U.S., the body of one person was found Monday, as well as a battered lifeboat. The ship reportedly lost power during Hurricane Joaquin. 6,000 federal prisoners are scheduled to be released by the Justice Department by the end of the month. The move is part of the new sentencing guidelines for drug crimes established last year. The guidelines will reduce penalties on certain nonviolent drug offenders. The prisoners will be let go October 30th and November 2nd. Senator Harry Reid is suing a company that makes exercise bands. Reid says the band broke while he was working on an arm exercise in his bathroom. That caused him to fall, striking his face on a cabinet in his Las Vegas home. The 75-year-old senator underwent surgery, and he says he's lost vision in his right eye due to the injury. He's seeking $50,000 in damages. Edward Snowden, the NSA whistleblower who has been living in Russia for the past two years, says he's offered to return to the U.S. and serve prison time, but the government has not responded with a formal plea agreement. After leaking secret government documents, Snowden sought asylum in Russia. Without a plea deal, Snowden could face life in prison. General Mills has recalled 1.8 million boxes of Cheerios and Honey Nut Cheerios produced at a plant in California. They say the cereal is labeled gluten-free but actually contains wheat. The boxes recalled have a better-if-used-by dates from July 14th to July 17th, 2016. The Honey Nut Cheerios date is July 12th to the 25th of next year. Three scientists were awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry this week. The men, one from Sweden and two American researchers, won the award for their work uncovering how cells repair damaged DNA. The research could help develop new cancer treatments. The men will split the prize money of just under $1 million. 50-year-old Julie Leach of Three Rivers, Michigan, came forward to claim the recent Powerball jackpot. Leach is the sole winner of $310.5 million and will take the lump sum after taxes of $140 million. Once she won, she quit her job as a supervisor at a fiberglass company. And in baseball this week, the Houston Astros beat the New York Yankees 3-0 in the American League wildcard game. And Wednesday night, the Chicago Cubs shut out Pittsburgh for nothing. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, and a great week it has been, hasn't it? And it's over. It's done. You did it. Another week. Ah, and we're almost to the weekend. 
We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, a great guest, Dr. Frederick Luskin, will be joining us. He's from Stanford, and he is the author of the bestseller, Forgive for Good, A Proven Prescription for Health and Happiness. He also wrote the book, Stress-Free for Good. Interesting stuff about the power of how your mind uh, can help you let go of things and the peace that can come from that. Stick with us. We'll have Dr. Frederick Luskin on in just a few minutes. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you, have you been hurt? harmed somebody did something to you and it hurt and you you i mean you may have had to recuperate you may have been injured you may have been in put into debt because of it you may have lost an opportunity dreams were destroyed and i'm just supposed to get over that man that's a very very tough thing to uh to try to push through and and sometimes you just find yourself stuck and caught in it and even even almost okay in it and so forgiveness uh is the tool our our guest today is Dr. Frederick Luskin who's here to teach us the real true blue science behind forgiveness and uh it's just some really powerful i think interesting background Dr. Luskin is the author of the best-selling book Forgive for Good a proven prescription for health and happiness. Um, and when you think about it, folks, it's us. It's our lives. It's our pain that we're going through. And Dr. Luskin is here to uh, to just teach us some of the hard truths about going through the process of forgiveness. Dr. Frederick Luskin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. And, you know, there, there are a couple things in your introduction that – I appreciated one is a lot of people don't recognize that some of the really difficult stuff to forgive is is the loss of dreams yeah and and you hit on that that often um our innocence is shattered, our sense of safety is shattered our our sense that we have control over things our our sense that we're loved in the way we want to be loved. Each of those is a very challenging, you know, kind of concept that is at the heart of what makes it so difficult for people. It's not just the physical stuff that happens, you know, like you lose your yeah. job or you have an accident or something, but it's that it's that dreams that is often at the at what makes it so challenging. It's I, I totally agree, and it, and it's almost and that is such a ethereal. What is that? That's just so. It's just so uh, personal and private and inside us that you can't always exactly. just put your thumb on it. And 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 the other thing that that you mentioned is that um, it's going to hurt. I mean that there there is some unwillingness in in many to just acknowledge that it's just flat out hard. You know, there's like no, there's no like magic pill or yeah. always workable shortcut. And, you know, there, 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 there are many people for whom 
like I would call like a religious solution that does appear to make it easier for some people. Yeah. But not, not everyone. Nothing that makes you know real loss or real betrayal easy. Well, and and I we heard you. Um, speak uh on the just let go uh program and i th- i think it was you that made the point that there's also i mean there is a very physical component to this too because you um if it's if i've lost somebody i mean i my body could ache for what's going on my i could have depression there's physiological responses to all of this too that's exactly right and you know having uh, were you in the audience for that? No, yeah i was yeah and, you know, that movie is extraordinary to show that even a man who, you know, felt touched um, by his God still struggled like crazy ah, to deal yeah. with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, in that, I guess that's the point. And, and everybody has to come to this this point on their own. Because um, even if you even if you have a religious view about it, you also made a point that Sometimes people don't come at it from a religious view, so they have to find some other channel or access point to get into that, I guess, that kind of ability to do it. I know you've got some steps that you use and you talk about in your books and in your, um, in your PBS specials and things. Walk us through, walk us through some, of the, some of the steps we need to kind of process through in order to begin to allow this this forgiveness process to take place? Well, and the first one we've been dealing with because it's the first couple of steps are turned out to be the most important. One is to really acknowledge that you've been hurt and it stinks. Yeah. I mean, as simple as that is a full acknowledgement that I'm in pain. I don't like this. And, and likely somebody did something wrong even that courage is difficult to just flat out say, I've been harmed, this hurts, and I don't know what to do. The, the next piece, and, and this is where religious understandings can be sometimes helpful and not so helpful, is you have to know what forgiveness is and isn't. Yeah. So forgiveness means that you release your bitterness and, and you kind of make peace inside yourself. However, as that film dealt with, forgiveness doesn't always mean that you don't pursue justice or that, you know, you, you, you simply let somebody off the hook. Right. For, or that you necessarily reconcile with the person. Yeah, and you go back to the person. You have some decisions to make about all that stuff. So it's more about the bitterness than, so I kind of, I always call it, it's kind of the bitterness, the means versus the ends. I mean, I still may have an end of justice. You, right. And, 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 and that was the fascinating thing about that movie is one could have come to a totally different conclusion that that gentleman did about the justice approach to it and still have completely forgiven. Yeah. Because one could have said, you know, I believe that driving drunk is such an atrocity that the best I can do to honor my family and even what I believe in is to make sure this person is put away for a long time so Mm -hmm. they never harm anybody else. And they could do that without bitterness but with a a more positive sense of this is what's right. 
and 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 but they could have cleansed their heart of any bitterness of wanting that person to suffer or being caught in their own suffering and come to a totally different conclusion. Yeah. It really and, is the bitterness, the, isn't it? It's the that that is what we're trying to forgive. That's the reason we're trying to forgive, isn't it? It's for well, our own bitterness. What we're working on is like you're not working on the justice system and you're not working on whether this world is fair. What you're working on is your inner condition that when it gets dominated by self-pity and bitterness is is crippling. Mm. And, and it, it, is it addictive? I mean, I, I saw a person yesterday yeah. in my practice that um, she, I, I told her, I go, she, she had lost her husband a year ago in a very similar thing to the Chris Williams story where he lost three members of his family. His wife was pregnant, so four members of his family. And um, th- this woman lost her husband and now is raising her family. And I said – she came to me and I, I asked her if she had seen that movie yet. And she said, um, no. And I said, are you interested in seeing it? And she said, no, I don't, I don't want to go there. Wow. And, and I – and yeah, what do you say except she, she, she says right now the hurting helps me. Right. Well, help to explain that to us. It was a year ago. Yeah. And and for most people, that's still in full process for something as awful as you know the the death of a, a partner. Yeah. And and you know that that forgiveness doesn't um, eliminate grief. Mm-mm. And 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 what she, what she may be telling you with that statement is one, it keeps her connected to her husband. This feeling, and she's not quite willing to let that go. And sometimes people, the grief is so numbing and destabilizing that feeling sad. It's better to feel something. Yeah. Oh, that's true, huh? Any even negative emotion. Um, yeah, because they know they're alive and they know they care. Um, you know, the, just to, to fill in the, the rest of, of that question that, that you asked, like after you come to these preliminary steps of, you know, what is forgiveness, what is it not, and, and I've been really blasted, the, the thing that makes, like, the thing that made that movie so powerful about forgiveness was, Mr. Williams understood that the battle was within himself, mm. that that he then, once he made a decision that he was going to let that go, he had to deal with all the parts of him that made that difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, inse- I would feel insecure. Like, everyone else is telling me to do something. Am I, am I nuts here? And yeah, so yeah. your insecurities, your, yeah. Your your family situations, yeah. Am I being enough of a? Am I being strong enough? And also, you mentioned the, before the question of addiction that feeling adrenaline, like I hate this person mm. or they ruined my life, is at least feeling alive and some sense of power. And when you renounce that, and in particular because of a faith in God. That's a very powerful statement that, like, challenges some of the most basic, just human responses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's what makes a movie like that so powerful and what makes exemplars 
of religious goodness, such wonderful exemplars, that we can take what would have been the more primitive, just animal-like response, and we can transcend it. It, it, Isn't that... It seems like that's the power of like Alcoholics Anonymous AA where there's a point where you have to submit to a higher power and give up your ability to fight it. I'm not here to just naturally just fight it anymore. I'm going to turn it over to someone else. I mean that's something one else. way. I mean you yeah. can – you don't have to have a higher power. It, you know, people turn over their suffering because another way that that happens is they get so sick of themselves – so, like, I'm so tired of thinking this same terrible mm. thought for the last 14 years. I don't care whether my father was the worst father on the planet. I'm more sick of me now. Yeah. That's one other way that that happens. And sometimes people do it, not a higher power, but, you know, I got to get it together for my kids. Oh, and I had a higher purpose, maybe, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I have to get this together. I have to... I have to be my better self because either other people are depending on me or what am I showing the world about my character? Yeah, I Mm. know the other person was a terrible, did a terrible thing. But if I keep on like this, then what does this say about me? It's such a complicated issue. It really – because I think we make it simply just forgive and forget. But no. no, it doesn't work that way. Let's let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Fred Luskin from Stanford University. And uh, I, I want to find out about that, too, when we come back, because can you I mean, Stanford, one of the great universities ever. And there they have an entire forgiveness project on campus. And Dr. Fred Luskin is the director of that project. Uh, forgiveness, folks, it's it's so complicated. And yet um, so, so health providing and so ah, just refreshing to be able to let some stuff go in our lives. Hopefully, as you're listening, you're thinking of places you might be able to let go. Um, and remember, let go doesn't mean you you forget everything. And it doesn't mean you have to just go back and, you know, be the same person with the same person that's harmed you. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back. More on forgiveness with Dr. Fred Luskin right here on The Matt Townsend Show. back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Fred Luskin, who is the author of the book, Forgive for Good, A Proven Prescription for Health and Happiness and Stress-Free for Good, uh, which is another book. He also is the director of the Stanford University Forgiveness Project um, and is is here to, uh, to teach us about the process. And it really is a process. It's, it, it seems like there's just certain things you need to do to let go. And um, and uh, so, Dr. Luskin, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. you, um, you by the way, you can't just I, – I can't – this is your process, right? If anybody is going through a, a need to forgive, it, it's always their personal process. I can't push the process on someone, right? You know – 
you can't push it, but you can. There are there are simple advices that can help speed it along. Um, I, I get asked all the time, you know, like my husband is a really angry man. Um, what can I do to help him? And one of the things you can do, as opposed to pushing it, is show the person who's angry or whatever it is or bitter that you're concerned about them, hmm. that, you, you know, their, their emotion troubles you because it makes you worried about their well-being. Um, that, that you can sometimes do. But in terms of pushing the process along, one of the things that is very helpful is after a modest period of time of talking about how bad something was, it is a good idea to put that to rest. That, you know, if, if somebody, like, if you get fired and it was unfair in a job, like that, talking about that for a month or two might make sense because it was really traumatic. And, right. if you, you know, again, if your partner was killed in a drunk driving accident, like, you might, you might want to talk about that in a negative way for six months or a year or 18 months, but... There's going to come a time in every, even the most painful story, where you simply have to stop complaining about it, because that's what wears out the mind and body, that when it becomes not just grief, but like an argument with life, yeah. um, it stops being helpful. And, and so what people can do with people who are bitter is after a while try to wean them off the constant complaining through the story, like just this this endless poor me. Mm-hmm. That's not good for anybody, right? Because it also just seems um, it, it seems like it becomes. I think you, you yeah you use the word story. It becomes the story you tell, and I'm always a believer that you know thoughts become the story, and then the story makes it so I almost don't have to think anymore. <laughs> I just get to feel it now. You're so right about that. And in fact, even you're shockingly right about that because the story becomes the substitute for thinking. There you go. And and, and you can't – so then you can't get out of this thing because all you've got is kind of the automatic story and and the emotion of it. But the fix is in the thought. And and the way that wires within your brain makes it very challenging to change unless you really want to. Mm. And um, and and the other thing is, often that story is both incomplete and biased. Yeah. And and that was one of the really remarkable things about that movie is you know, the protagonist was really not just trying to save his life, but trying to save the life of the young man. Yeah, who, the offender. Yeah, and, and so that, that showed a tremendous like clarity of thinking, mm. which very few people have when they're deeply hurt. Don't, don't you think a lot of the grief eventually, I mean, especially I guess if it becomes that we're hanging on to it, is because now I'm left in my moments where I'm weak. And uh, for example, uh, now I have to go take care of my life. I now have to go get a new job. 
I have to go deal with my own weaknesses or insecurities. And so a lot of it seems like what ends up happening is our own weaknesses become blamed on the the situation. You 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 understand this very well. And the the one of the reasons that we hold on to these kind of experiences is because either of an unwillingness or a fear of taking responsibility for our life. And taking responsibility for our life is very hard, even in the best of circumstances. Oh, yeah. And so when, when an unwanted or unexpected thing, like one of the things you think about, um, like when I watch that movie, and, you know, I've dealt with lots of people in this, in this, not lots, but enough in this kind of situation. Like if you have a religious orientation and, and a belief in God, then at some point you have to say or understand there probably wasn't anything as an accident. Right. Like, this is what was meant to be. This yeah. is what whatever forces in charge coordinated. Yeah. Well, even even for those of us you know, who don't have, who have a more secular point of view, the world runs on laws. I mean, if you know, if you, if you read physics or chemistry or biology, it's very lawful. You, you know, even though there are, you know, mutations and right. stuff, it's very lawful. And so what we're really trying to do inside of us is defend ourselves against chaos. You know, so... Um, if if this can happen, this is where it's so frightening why people don't let go. If this could happen, if this drunk driver could do this, if this parent could do that, then there's no way for me to really grasp this world and there's no way for me to be safe. And that's why people who have faith tend to do better because their faith keeps them safe. Yeah, they go to their faith, right, instead of their self their need to self-protect or handle it themselves. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. And bitterness is a form of self-protection. Yeah, there you go. Isn't that interesting? Because it's uh, – it really could be – It's so the faith can be freeing. Do, do you see a negative side to the faith when it comes to forgiveness? It maybe is, is there more of an obligation? Is there – because now you have the principle or the mandate that you're supposed to do it. That's – and what that results in sometimes – is people who don't grieve properly, wow. you know, so they don't really let those feelings percolate and they don't cry and they don't rage and they don't get furious and they don't feel like nobody cares about them. All that's a normal part of grief. You just want to stay there. Yeah. And, wow. and, and sometimes feeling like that makes you a bad Christian because you don't have faith. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're just processing, right? I mean, even as a Christian, you, you you still have to process through humanity. Of course. And, I mean, we were made people with feelings and vulnerabilities and flaws. And, and I, you know, one of the things that I have come to is it, it, if we didn't have these vulnerabilities and quirks and mistakes and all the crap we do to each other, it wouldn't be the challenge that it appears that this world is to love each other. You know, like yeah. it, 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 it's not an easy task that we were set out to do. Um, and, and again, the religious 
ideal or orientation helps make some of this easy. The place, though, that the religious world, some of the research shows, is people sometimes feel that God is punishing them. Mm. And that mean, that usually leads to a worse outcome for people if they feel that it's a vengeful God or, you know, if people feel somehow they have displeased God and that's why, you know, these things happen, that in that way a religious orientation can really get in the way. Oh, that yeah, because then all of a sudden your highest source is punitive and yeah, then where do you go? Then it is pretty much up to you. But you're on the you're on the bad list, yeah. Wow, I mean, and that's I mean, isn't that interesting? Just how you orient to your God, if if you're a faithful person like that, how you see what your your God, if He's there to bring you the opera or she, if they're there to bring you the opportunities to learn and to grow and to develop, or are you here to get a beat down? Yeah, and that that that's real that. That, that, that is so true. I generally, uh, living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and, you know, we've been doing our research and, and teaching a lot here, we, we generally deal with a more secular audience. Yeah, yeah. And um, the motivation often for the more secular audience is the health benefits. You know, like, yeah, you can lower your blood pressure, you can reduce back pain, you know, you're not twisting yourself up into uh, a pretzel mm-hmm. for, for five years, or you know the, the 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 sense that bad things happen to a lot of people, and now you reveal your character as to how you deal with it. Like that, this is like your paint by numbers opportunity right. to show the world what kind of person you are. So those tend to be more like utilize than a faith-based approach mm-hmm. in the, you know, the secular classes that I teach. I think it's, um, it's such a universal issue, isn't it? This is, this is probably, it seems to me, one of the most basic universal issues. Because it, it, the fact that we are all vulnerable to being hurt, yeah. that people act often in selfish and destructive ways and and we hurt each other and how do we deal with that yeah yeah no i think well and what a what a great job for you to be able to <laughs> explore this all day and also just see the change in people's lives i mean it's it's got to be a pretty empowering thing i'll i'll tell you and the truth is it's both yeah, is it a drain <laughs> the work that we've done and the book that i've written forgive for good have really helped thousands and thousands of people and at the same time there is something depressing <laughs> about how much hurt and pain there is everywhere no it's true huh yeah you know it's it's not just pollyanna oh you know <laughs> you make people feel good right you it's know, not all chris williams is it like chris williams in every community right that, that's why that's i think so powerful to see that the movie just let go because it's it gives you at least an iconic person through faith that did it. I mean, it'd be powerful to see a similar one that did it just for health and that somebody that did it just, you know, to to take their turn in manifesting character. And, and, and you know, again, that's, that's how I see it. I, 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 what I believe is that we're all tested and it's good for this planet and and our people 
if we can respond without wanting violence or revenge. It's just good. I believe there are multiple paths to get there. But when I see something like that movie where this man literally had his life ripped out from under him and he himself was badly harmed by an accident and and what he went through to transform his very quick decision that I need to let this go to a living embodiment was very powerful yeah. and, and 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 I appreciate that and I admire it and 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 I think those are messages that should be broadcast everywhere you know it's possible to be devastated and not lose your soul yeah uh, you know is how i would language that no i think beautifully said there well uh dr fred luskin we appreciate you and the great work you're doing there um again the website is learning to forgive.com the book is forgive for good if you go there there's a bunch of other books stress free for good forgive for love he's got a lot of great information and um we need it This world needs it. We need more peace out there. We need to understand exactly what he said, that uh, challenges happen to everyone. We're going to be hurt, and there is peace if we can just let go. So such a great great topic. We'll take a break, come back, do a quick little wrap-up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I mean, think about that. In your in your life, how do you view this life? Are you here on this big ball of mud just by random happenstance? Could you have just been a, I don't know, an amoeba on Mars floating in that little river of water that they found? Is it just that random for you? Are you here to just take a beating? If you believe in a God, does that God, is, is that God there to just, you know, make you pay? Is, is, is that God just trying to get his or her anger out on you? I mean, I personally believe there's more to it. And uh, there's something powerful, even according to the research we were just listening to, that, man, when you believe that there's a higher power something else or someone else you can turn to for that peace, there's some pretty amazing um, opportunity to grow and, and, to let, and to let some pain go. And if you don't have that, then you, you kind of have to turn it to another, as he was saying, more secular approach where I'm going to do it for my kids or I'm going to do it for my character or I'm going to do it for my health. I think in the end um, – you got to just kind of do it the way you know. But I, no matter what, find a way to do it. Find a way to, to process through it. So if you've been holding on to a grudge or a story or a pain or something that happened to you for years, let's just say longer than two, three, four years, um, it's probably time to, to do something. By doing it, you're, you're just only going to free yourself. And one of the great lessons that I heard Chris Williams teach, who was the, 
the the husband that we've talked about on the show for the last week that lost his family, is he said, you might not be in a situation right now where you need to forgive anyone. But what he said you might want to do is forgive. So before you need to, decide right now you'll forgive. Just decide right now that when somebody hurts you, decide it right now. So you know now that you're just going to you're going to let it go. Now, you don't have to let it go in the moment, but just decide you will forgive people. That's what you're going to do. And even that uh can and, and maybe process through it. If if you lost somebody in a car accident, if you were harmed some way, if a business partner stole stuff from you, what how would you handle it and how would you forgive and process it? Think it through because it might build a muscle or some some strength in your character that uh, you may need someday, right? Okay, that's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. Man, good stuff. Next hour we're going to be talking uh, about the movie Pan. Also, uh, just some more information on what you can do in seven seconds that could change your life forever. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back next hour. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life. And my, 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 we got a great show for you uh, for the next hour. Stick with us. This is going to be a doozy. We're going to be getting into uh, some movie reviews with our parent previews experts and uh, giving you some insight into the upcoming movie uh, that was released, Pan. Also, we will be talking about seven seconds is all you need to change your life. And we will be working on that uh, great topic there with Sharon Anderson, um, who's going to walk us through a very basic tool and key to creating a healthier, happier life. Hey, before we do that, let's get to some of just the craziest stories about humans. Holy cow. Here's one, for example. Did you hear about the Portland police... They were on the lookout. They actually still are, I believe, for a large truck filled with tofu and, by the way, healthy drinks. Somebody stole a truck from a southeast Portland Safeway store. The truck, uh, basically, the driver told police that he went in the store for 20 minutes. When he came out, the truck was gone. So somewhere in Portland, there are some really healthy health food eaters uh, that are probably parked under a tree, I'm assuming, and uh, kicking back with some tofu and some really healthy drinks. The, 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 the APB has been sent out there. They are on the look for uh, the protein and vitamin-packed vehicle. The truck is registered to RNK Foods, a Seattle natural foods wholesaler. And um, anyway, you got to watch out for it, folks. We can't have people stealing all the healthy foods. Or what would we do? We would just be left, I guess, going to, you know, the fast food restaurants? Come on. By the way, those thieves are in for a completely big surprise when they stop, pull over. They run to the back of the truck to see what their take was, and it's just a bunch of boxes of tofu. Man, that'll be a great video. And another crazy story that you just won't believe, um, a woman 
Wanted on identity theft charges has been arrested in Oregon. Man, Oregon has their hands full, don't they? After a construction worker, listen to this, lifted the lid of a portable toilet and found her hiding inside. 27-year-old Treasure Dawn Shockey, who had two warrants for her arrest, ran when police in Eugene tried to talk to her on Saturday. Police say a witness told them that she saw the woman run through her yard and climb a fence onto the property of the Eugene Swim and Tennis Club. About 20 minutes later, a construction worker told police that he had lifted up the lid of a porta potty and had been surprised to see her inside. Oh, that is absolutely disgusting. The things people will do to get away from police. Police say Shockey left the toilet uh, and they arrested her. But I'm assuming they probably had to call in the fire department to hose her down. Holy cow, can you imagine climbing down in the hole of a porta potty? Not a good thing. Not a good thing. But uh, thank heavens there are police officers out there, somebody that's willing to uh, to go ahead and do that. And uh, boy, it's a messy job, isn't it? In fact, some even says, you know, some even say this this job stinks. Anyway, we got a great show for you coming up. Um, really, on the weekend, on Fridays, we like to try, kind of lighten it up a little bit more and, and give you some tools for what you can go plan to watch and see in the movies. Uh, joining us from ParentPreviews.com will be Rod and his wife, Donna Gustafson, who are going to be talking to us about the movie Pan, you know, from Peter Pan. It's a uh, it's a retake of Peter Pan. We're going to be finding out the latest and greatest about that. Now, let's get to the real headlines from our own Kathy Aiken, who's going to do a week in review. Kathy? Good morning, everyone. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is warning residents there could be more risks of flooding. The governor visited the coast where rivers continue to rise and head toward the Atlantic Ocean. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of people that have a lot of of opinions. What I will tell you is this is a thousand-year flood, and we have thousands of dams in this state. And, you know, there'll be a lot of things we can go back after this and say, okay, where do we go from here? The death toll due to the flooding in the Carolinas has reached 19 and the damage could top $1 billion. President Obama is scheduled to visit Roseburg, Oregon today. The president will have a closed-door meeting with families of the victims in last week's shootings at the local community college. Nine people were killed and nine others injured. Chris Mintz, the 30-year-old Army veteran who tried saving lives during that deadly shooting, has been released from the hospital. Mintz was shot in the back, abdomen, and has two broken legs. He sounded a fire alarm before running back to his classroom. The man told the shooter it was his son's birthday, but was shot twice more by the gunman, who later killed himself. One of the three Americans who subdued a gunman on a train headed to France was stabbed four times in the chest yesterday morning. Spencer Stone is in stable condition, and the incident is under investigation. After supporting President Obama's trade deal while Secretary of State 45 times, Hillary Clinton on Wednesday said she doesn't support the agreement in its final form. I have said from the very beginning that we had to have a trade agreement uh, that would create good American jobs, raise wages, and advance our national security. I think that there are still a lot of unanswered questions. The Trans-Pacific Partnership free trade deal is supported by Vice President Joe Biden, a possible contender to Clinton in the presidential race. The Coast Guard has called off its search for survivors of the cargo ship that went missing near the Bahamas last week. The ship left Jacksonville, Florida on Thursday with 33 crew members on board, 28 of those from the U.S., 
The body of one person was found Monday as well as a battered lifeboat. The ship reportedly lost power during Hurricane Joaquin. 6,000 federal prisoners are scheduled to be released by the Justice Department by the end of the month. The move is part of a new sentencing guidelines for drug crimes established last year. The guidelines will reduce penalties on certain nonviolent drug offenders. The prisoners will be let go October 30th and November 2nd. Senator Harry Reid is suing a company that makes exercise bands. Reid says the band broke while he was working on an arm exercise in his bathroom. That caused him to fall, striking his face on a cabinet in his Las Vegas home. The 75-year-old senator underwent surgery, and he says he's lost vision in his right eye due to the injury. He's seeking $50,000 in damages. Edward Snowden, the NSA whistleblower who has been living in Russia for the past two years, says he's offered to return to the U.S. and serve prison time, but the government has not responded with a formal plea agreement. After leaking secret government documents, Snowden sought asylum in Russia. Without a plea deal, Snowden could face life in prison. General Mills has recalled 1.8 million boxes of Cheerios and Honey Nut Cheerios produced at a plant in California. They say the cereal is labeled gluten-free but actually contains wheat. The boxes recalled have a better-if-used-by dates from July 14th to July 17th, 2016. The Honey Nut Cheerios date is July 12th to the 25th of next year. Three scientists were awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry this week. The men, one from Sweden and two American researchers, won the award for their work uncovering how cells repair damaged DNA. The research could help develop new cancer treatments. The men will split the prize money of just under $1 million. 50-year-old Julie Leach of Three Rivers, Michigan, came forward to claim the recent Powerball jackpot. Leach is the sole winner of $310.5 million and will take the lump sum after taxes of $140 million. Once she won, she quit her job as a supervisor at a fiberglass company. And in baseball this week, the Houston Astros beat the New York Yankees 3-0 in the American League wildcard game. And Wednesday night, the Chicago Cubs shut out Pittsburgh 4-0. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Kathy. Man, another crazy week, as you can see. When we come back, we'll be joined by Donna and Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com, giving us uh, a little overview of the new movie, Pan. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've got a special uh, a special gift, I think, today, because we don't normally get to talk. We get to talk to Rod all the time from ParentPreviews.com, but we never get to talk to Donna Gustafson. And, uh, you know, Rod tells me, in the end, it's Donna that makes all the things happen. So, Rod and Donna, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> We're happy to be here. Good to be here. And, you know, I, I really should mention that Donna has... The two of us have worked together at this. Well, Donna rolls her eyes when I say how long we've been doing it. It's been a long, long time. So well over 15 years. Has it really? 20 years, I guess, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. But you're also, I mean, what I love about it is you at parentpreviews.com, you're changing families. I mean, you're trying to make it so that we're informed before we take our kids to the movies. And so 15 years of that service, I think we all need to thank you. Well, Thank you very much. We hope that it helps. We and I'm, I know it does. And by the way, I got to finally see Rod in person last week, Donna. How often do you send Rod out to just drive the kids to school, and he comes back <laughs> three days later or four days later? 
not that often, actually. We are a pretty tight-knit little group around here. That's yeah, it's great. a good thing I have flat rate long distance down there. We used it quite a bit. We stay in touch a lot. That's great because it really is. That was a long drive, but uh, it's also probably a lot of good time to uh, be with your college students. So that's cool. Yeah, it was. It was very fun. And your college student's girlfriend. So that's half the battle. Yes. <laughs> good stuff. Now, I hear the movie we're going to be talking about today is Pan. It is. Uh, and uh, you went out and saw Pan, Donna? I did, because Rod was down visiting with you. Rod was just playing around. He was, so I had to do all the work for him. <laughs> you had to do all the heavy lifting. Talk about Pan, the movie Pan. I guess it's a play on Peter Pan? It is a reimagining of Peter Pan, and it promises in its opening lines that it's going to be the old story told in a new way. And I actually kind of get into these kind of movies, you know, like they just did the live-action Cinderella, and yeah. I find that taking old familiar stories and turning them into live-action can be a really fun thing. But unfortunately, for all of its promises, this one falls a little short. Oh. Instead of being something new, it's a lot of old cliches that are kind of piled on top of each other. And so I would, ended up being a little disappointed with it. But they uh, tell me, though, that they do not have some of the politically incorrect. Like, we don't have what makes the red man red anymore. No. Yes. No, exactly. we Good. Good. So Very in the story, we have Peter being dropped off as an orphan at an orphanage. We spend a lot of time in the orphan scenes, which are just the typical over-the-top, bad nun caregivers abusing the mm. kids, all of that kind of stuff. And that goes on for way too long. Finally, Pan is kidnapped, or Peter is kidnapped by these pirates that fly in these huge ships throughout the, sea, the sky, kind of like what you see in the uh, Disney animated version. Right. Only this time they're battling with World War II bombers over England because that's the time setting that the story has been told in. And then eventually they get to Neverland where the bad guy isn't Hook. He turns out to be kind of a friend. Oh. Um, the bad guy is a horrible dictator of a pirate named Blackbeard, played by Hugh Jackman. Mm. And then eventually he escapes the tyranny of him and ends up out with the tribal natives, which is how they make politically correct <laughs> the what were actually called savages. All right. And Redmen <laughs> in Disney's version. So they try to tone that down by... Um, by, you know, calling them tribal natives. They're an eclectic mix of people from all nationalities and ethnicities. They're dressed in costumes that look like they've come out of a dollar store, so there's no sort of sense of it belonging in any particular place or time. Oh, interesting. And it's Tiger Lily that tries to help Peter find himself and discover that really he's a prophesied person that would come into this world, be their Messiah, and save them from the tyranny of Blackbeard. And uh. so that's kind of where the story goes. But like I say, there's an awful lot of cliches here. There's an awful lot of things that we've seen before. Um, Peter's character doesn't quite give us enough charm to really fall in love with him and, and like him. Uh, Captain Hook plays a character that is a real dead ringer for Han Solo. He's that kind of bad guy, good guy, never sure which way he's going to go type of thing. And um, so in that sense, in spite of all the special effects and all the fancy wonderful that has been added to this, and all of that is amazing, the story is a little bit old. Why would they go to Blackbeard? Come on, Hook was scary. Well, Hook was scary, and I don't know why they've created Blackbeard instead. The story begins with a line about friends beginning as enemies and enemies beginning as friends. So maybe it's for a sequel. We'll have to see Hook, you know, yeah. meet his 
his darker side, again, with a sort of a Star Wars feeling there. Um, <laughs> so, so instead of a lightsaber, for that. instead of a lightsaber, it's a hook. <laughs> there you go. And a beard. Do they have the ticking crocodile? No, but they That's do have they do have big <laughs> monstrous crocodiles that will be very frightening for young children, and their crocodiles are able to leap and almost fly. So they are quite the scary beast. Ooh, they don't yeah. the no, flying they don't crocodile. Stick. There's an awful lot of violence in the movie too, which may be a bit of a surprise for parents taking their children. Um, it's very sanitized violence. When you kill a tribal person, instead of their body falling over and dying, it just sort of poofs into a cloud of colorful chalk dust. So, you know, you can have a lot more uh, yeah. carnage that way without really feeling like it's happening. And that's kind of how they managed to keep it in a PG rating and having it go into a PG-13 rating. It's like a video game death. You just turn into a, <laughs> yes. a, a, yes. a vapor. Yes, uh, there you go. What? So, so it's... Here it is, a remake, a reimagining, a live action of an old story we all know, and yet um, they're changing the story a bit, but is it something the kids will like? You know, I I watched the kids in the screening that I was in. I was surprised that some of the youngsters took the violence as well as they did. I Mm. was a bit, I, I was overwhelmed by how much swashbuckling action there was, there, you know, it's just kind of at a frantic pace all the way through with that. Um, so most of them seem to handle that better than I thought that they would. Yeah. But I don't know if they will become as engaged in it either. They do have the advantage of not having seen quite as many of the films that I've seen over the time to recognize how tired and used some of these story right. plots, you know, plots are. So for them, that may be... A, Maybe new, but for some reason, it just kind of lacked that magic that you would hope the story would have that would really enchant the viewer. Well, yeah, and with Hugh Jackman, it could have been, it seems like pretty interesting. Well, he sure plays a nasty villain, does he? And yes, and he comes across like he is offering you freedom from being an orphan, and in reality, he's having you work in his rock mines trying Ooh. to mine fairy dust for <laughs> his own yeah. gain. So, you know, he, he's a really nasty, two-faced sort of character. So Is it, uh, what, what, did you give it a grade yet, Donna? I, I did. I think that it kind of falls into, I'm trying to remember what I eventually settled on, I think it kind of falls into a D minus because I don't know that it'll, your kids will be up at late at night having nightmares over this, but, oh, I just, probably the problem is I was hoping for so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if, just, if you know the stories, it may let you down. Yes. So if you have great expectations, it may be a disappointment. I've always disliked this story. I won't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my favorite part of Peter Pan was the little opening in the Disney animation where the, where the, the, uh, the, the not the Basset Hound, their big dog. Their sheep dog. You know, their yep. sheep dog or whatever, where it gets locked outside and the father is having a fit. <laughs> Because all the children are sad about the dog. That's and right. Don't care what's happening to father. <laughs> now I think that might be a slightly biased point yeah. of view, Rod. <laughs> That's the part uh, of it. I think we. I think we should have had more of the dog. Yeah, we need more of the dog. <laughs> and unfortunately, the sheepdog doesn't make it into this version. That is so interesting. When, when, for example, when Donna goes to see something, Rod, does does she ever come back and say, "Oh, you've got to go see this," and then we, you oh, guys, I go see it together? It's interesting because we had our other reviewer, Carrie Bennett, uh, her and I screened movies together for well over a decade. And so we're switching gears. I'm actually going to go see movies with my wife now. So How romantic. 
Yeah. Oh, I don't know how romantic it is when you have a notebook on your lap yeah, and you're much. taking notes. That's very true, huh? Work day, but there have been many movies over the years I've said, oh, I really want you to see this. And usually about three or four years later, maybe. Yeah, when yeah. it comes out on video. I'm yeah. sort of a second-class citizen in the movie-watching department. So yeah. Yeah. Donna does, she keeps track of all of our films on the website. So she's constantly combing the Internet looking for when movies are going to be releasing and trying to keep all of that updated on the website. So she would be what would be called our assignment editor, yeah. probably our general editor. She keeps track of all that stuff. So, and so she doesn't get much time to go to the theaters. Well, and now it's time. Yeah, now <laughs> yeah. it's time. We'll be doing more of that. Yeah, I guess as more kids are moving away, uh, Donna, you're going to get a promotion. Yes, I guess. <laughs> you get to go watch more movies. Um, maybe just update us again for those that are that are listening. What is parentpreviews.com? What's the overall goal and your objective as uh, as reviewers? Go ahead, our, Donna. You our do goal it is to, to watch these movies and to give parents a better idea of the sorts of things they can expect to find in them than what you're finding with the ratings information. Ratings, there are only a few categories, and so what they contain can be very, very broad. So we hope that we can enlighten you by telling you what kind of um, content you're going to see, but we also try to pay attention to the messages of what's being said, because sometimes content justifies a message, and sometimes a lack of content doesn't justify a lack of message. Mm. So we hope that by giving you more of an inside view of what we've seen, that we'll be able to help you have the tools to decide whether that's something you want to share with your family. Right. And speaking of that, I should share kind of what the message is in PAN. Yeah. Um, it really is about believing in yourself. This little boy doesn't have the confidence to believe that he could be the hero of their story. And so he has to kind of find that within himself. And that's a very positive message, which, you know, is something that parents will appreciate. Kids need to sort of take those risks and to have faith in who they can become. The sad part about it is a lot of the adults lie to the children. And so there's a lot of that kind of negative stuff going on. And, of course, every conflict needs to be solved through a battle of some sort. Sure. A little swashbuckling. Yes. Interesting. Well, no, I think that's a and that's a great review. And then that's what I love about your work on parent previews uh, is they can go look at it. They can talk about the violence, the sexual content, the innuendo and learn about if this is what we want to take the family to. So we we appreciate the work you're doing. And Pan, it sounds like it's an option. Yes. You know, it wouldn't be the worst thing you could take your kids to. But it isn't going to be the best movie of the year. Yeah. yeah. And it really is the only release today that's yeah. happening for this weekend. Kind of a light weekend. Yeah. Well, well Donna and Rod Gustafson, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work there at parentpreviews.com. And uh, we'll see, I'm sure we'll talk to you next week. We will. Thanks, Thanks you guys. Matt. Take care. Okay. Have a great Thanks. time. Bye-bye. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. Continue the journey here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever felt like you you needed to make a change in your life? You just needed to get a new habit started or you needed to stop doing something and you struggled with it and you struggled with it. Well, today uh, we've got a great guest uh, on the phone with us that's going to be helping us figure out how to create a change 
And uh, one of the ways she does it, uh, her name is Dr. Uh, Sharon Anderson, and she has a Ph.D. in metaphysics uh, from the American Institute of Holistic Theology. She's a journalist and author, and today she's uh, going to be talking to us about her book, the se- uh, Thinking Your Life. It's called Thinking Your Life, The Seven Second Thought. Dr. Sharon Anderson, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me here. I'm honored. I really am. We we um, we need your help. We're desperate <laughs> because change is so hard. I think for all of us. Um, talk to yeah. us. Talk to us about your book, um, Thinking Your Life: The Seven Second Thought. Ta- tell us about what that means. Uh, well, what it means is you have exactly seven seconds to decide if you want to keep the thought or if you want to uh, delete it. Um, that's all the time we have, and and um, it depends on the thoughts you bring in. But you just have the seven second rule is you either keep it or delete it. So if I have a thought, for example, that I'm no good, uh, I can't do anything right. This is just uh-huh. I'm not good at this. I have seven seconds to do something about to 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 get rid of that thought or change the thought or what happens. Well, you have, you, know, you can change it, but the thing is, um, you need to decide whether if that thought is good for you, which you just did. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you need to decide. For me, I would say delete it quick. Yeah, get rid of <laughs> the thought. Want, yeah, get rid of that thought. Yeah, that's. Uh, in the book, um, and you know, it's interesting that you uh, chose this particular book because at that particular, at that exact time, I was trying to to create an audio book of this of this this title and um, I decided to change it when I read it at first it didn't sound right so I made a lot of changes to the actual book and I added a tool a lot of toolkits and the toolkits are like your thought depository Hmm. which where you put all your thoughts right Um, yeah that's just one of the uh, toolkits you, um, I also used a, um, a thought thesaurus. Uh, as a writer, I use a thesaurus all the time. Is that, is that to, and, like, get, to, um, to find another thought that might be a healthier one? Exactly. You find a better, you find a better thought yeah. and replace it. Yeah. There's also um, a toolkit to... Um, uh, to delete, we, we already talked about uh, deleting the thought, but there also is another toolkit for thought flowing. Which, um, if you have, if you're in a situation and you have someone in your office that uh, you're not getting on well with, you know, you can feel their energy is not exactly nice. Yeah, and you want to change that a little bit because you know you're kind of stuck in a situation and you have to. There. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you do is every morning before you start work, you start throwing them a thought like, it's nice to see you today, or um, you brighten my day, or I like the way you work. Always a positive thought. And if you do that for like a week or two weeks, it's going to change their attitude towards you, and it's going to change the atmosphere in the office. So you don't actually have to say that to them. You could just no. think, uh, 
man, I'm going to send, you know, good wishes or love to this person. Um, and, and you say that changes them. Does I guess it also changes me. Is that how they are changed or is it just my energy changes them? It's both. Okay, wow. It's both. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, amazing what thoughts can do. Huh? Well, it really is because I, I we just take them for granted, I guess, right? We don't think about our thoughts much. No. No, we don't. And, you know, um, we've been told by countless um, famous people, especially like Buddha, um, uh, the Dalai Lama, they've all told us, you know, that to change your life, you change your thoughts. And it does work. Mm. It does work. It charges the energy around you. But you must, you know, um, in the book I count down, you must want or desire to change your life. It just won't happen. You have to have that want or that desire. And you must be willing to make those changes. And you must believe that you can. Now, if you have, you know, if you have the desire and you have the want, but you don't believe that you can, then it's not going to work. I have a quote from Buddha. Yeah, let's hear it. And it's, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. The mind is everything. What we think, we become. Mm. And now, and you know, I'm going to relate that to, as you're sitting there, wherever you are, and you look around you, you have created the reality that you're sitting in right now with your thoughts. No matter where you are, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> get nobody else to blame. It's yours. But see, that's the thing, though, Sharon, because some people want to blame. Well, no, my mom and dad made me think this way. They're the uh, ones that told me that the world's dangerous and no one can be trusted. They're the ones that, or I mean, they were they were the ones that abused me, or so and so is the one that harmed me. What What do you say to the people? that have kind of been scripted because of how they were raised or abuse that ha- that have been scripted in some very detrimental ways of thinking? Mm. Um, well, how do I, I handle it in the book? Um, as a, you can change that. You know, um, even if they did give you that kind of um, a belief system, yeah. you can always change it. Um you just have to believe oh, yeah. like we were talking about. You have to believe you can change it to do it. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, did, I did that. I did cover that in the book by, um, under the deleting of thought. And, you know, I'm going to run to that chapter if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Just a second. Yeah. Because it's, I, I hear that a lot. Um, I mean, there's the idea of being a positive, you know, having a positive mental attitude. But, you know, some people would just say, well, sure, it's easy for you to have it. You're not – you didn't live what I lived. And so I think it's really important that we figure out how any of us can go about shifting these scripts that we've kind of been raised with. Right. Well, most most memories um, are surrounded with a thought mm. um, because, you know, thoughts are attached to those those memories. Yeah. And they, you know, sometimes they're not exactly um, happy. Here it is, thought thrashing. That's another one of our, yeah. <laughs> our little toolkits, not thought thrashing. 
And often I've been asked to clear homes of, of spaces and unwanted energies, um, you know, to go in and clean it. Yeah. And but in your thought, in your thought depository, you often have unwanted thoughts. Some, you know, something sometimes hiding in your memories, and you don't want them there. You you you're done with them, and you want to get rid of them. So um, you can trash that thought. You can bring it up and um, look at it and say, delete. I don't. I don't need you anymore. This thought can go away, and it does. And it goes away in that yes. moment, and it, I guess it, it might have a tendency to come back again, but you could do it again. Yes. And if you do it enough, yes. it goes away. Exactly. But what I, and I had one like that, that just, you know, that thing wouldn't go away. Yeah. I don't want you anymore. It's a sticky so thought. So what I did was I asked my angel to take the thought. So the and angels, like your spiritual guide, some your spiritual, mm-hmm. yeah. All of that, yep. Yeah, that's... Unseen little beings that travel with yeah. us, but yeah. That's powerful. And yeah. then, so you can, you can rely in your spiritual guide or being to, to help you trash the thought. I, I believe that, too, because my spiritual being um, is full of love and acceptance and peace. So sometimes mm-hmm. even just thinking of my spiritual being kind of eliminates my more natural thoughts. Exactly. And elevates my energy exactly. and my game. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the, the little phrase that I used was, um, only those thoughts of the highest good are welcome. Mm. All others are free to leave, and they do. It's, it's amazing how we can all come it's, from such different backgrounds, right? Buddha, Gandhi, yeah. we're calling from BYU. You're in, are you in California? Or oh, you're in back north, you're at Cape Cod. Um, I mean, so what's amazing to me is we all come from these diverse backgrounds, except that we can all kind of get into this idea that there's this higher power of goodness and that energy will kind of drive our spirits or whatever our energy. It's so something that's kind of that universal that you can see everywhere. There's just got to be some truth in there, doesn't there? Oh, I absolutely believe that. Well, Sharon Anderson, we we appreciate you. You're a you're a wonderful spirit, and you've got you've got some very powerful, I think, truths that all of us could take in a lot deeper, and and especially to empower us to get some some strength and power over our thoughts. Again, the book is Thinking Your Life: The Seven Second Thought. Uh, you can go find that everywhere. Plus, go just go look up Doctor. Um, just go look up Doctor Sharon Anderson, and you'll find all of her books that are out there. We so appreciate you, Dr. Anderson. We're going to take a break, come back, continue the discussion. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, I uh, appreciate Dr. Sharon Anderson and her thoughts um, about... Making change. And really, as I think about it, over the week, we've heard so many stories, haven't we? Just so many news stories about people that keep hurting other people, people that that keep making the same type of mistakes over and over. And in reality, in life, the reason I want to do this show is to see if we can't give everybody more ideas, more tools. And everybody, if you notice, goes to a different place 
to create that change in their life. Uh, Sharon was talking about, you know, you can go to that higher power uh, and and everybody from a different faith belief system, they all go to different directions to change the thought. The thought is such a powerful place to begin. One of my favorite quotes that I learned when I was working um, with Stephen Covey is a, is a quote that says, you sow a thought and you reap an act. You sow an act and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. By Samuel Miles, the thoughts lead to our actions. And I also have found the thoughts lead to our feelings, don't they? What you think every day leads to what you feel. What you feel eventually leads to what you're going to do in your life or not do. Thoughts, our thinking, leads to the feelings that we have. So one of the fastest ways I've ever found to change a relationship or to change my own life is simply to change the thought. And sometimes I have to detect when I'm not having a healthy thought. One of the fastest ways I found to detect when I'm not having a healthy thought is simply noticing what I'm feeling. If I feel angry at someone, if I feel justified to be hurtful, if I feel like I'm a victim or I'm, you know, worn out and and beat down and emotionally drained, when I'm feeling those feelings, I can usually track it back to a thought. There's something that happened. There's somebody that hurt me. And many, many, many times it involves other people. I've noticed that this is why relationships are so important for us to pay attention to, because things don't happen without people making things happen. When I'm mad at something or somebody, a restaurant or whatever, and I'm upset because something didn't go my way, there's usually a person connected to that thought. So if we're going to change it, I have to identify when I'm having a negative thought. And one of the best ways to know when you're having that negative or unhealthy thought is a feeling is a feeling. You know, one day um, I tell a story about somebody that we were uh, in uh, Madame Tussaud's Wax Museum in London. And we were just visiting, watching, you know, in the queen room, looking at the queen. And all of a sudden, somebody started stomping their foot and swearing and saying some of the kind of most foul language you've ever heard. And as they were freaking out and stomping their foot, Everyone's looking at him like, what the heck is this guy's problem? And they stomped their foot on a relative of mine, right on her foot. They hurt her. And we're all freaking out. We pushed her away. We pushed this person away, I mean. And right then, when it was about to get really crazy weird, because we're all reacting to this person, this person's wife steps in and says, sorry, sorry, sorry. He has Tourette's. He has Tourette's. And it changed the entire ballgame. One person came in and took a moment that was scary, that was out of control, that was wrong, where he had hurt somebody. And instead of me wanting to hurt him back, one person just giving a little more information shifted how I think. And when my shifting uh, and my thinking changed, and I was no longer thinking he's just an evil, crazy psycho dude, all of a sudden, what I found that was so interesting is my feelings changed. I now had compassion for this guy who just hurt somebody that I care about because he's hurting, because he's broken. That's the power of shifting our thinking. And a lot of ways we can do that. The fastest way is just getting more information. 
Once I had more information about what this guy was doing, I could shift my thinking, which would shift my feelings. And when I shift my feelings, it would shift what I do in life. And when I shift what I do, I shift what I become. So I didn't have to take off and be mad at this person. In fact, I could now try to understand him and have more compassion for him. Do we not need more of that in the world, for heaven's sakes? You know what? I say we do. We need a lot of compassion. None of us have a clue what everyone else is going through, and so we end up operating in our own little silos, operating in our own little ignorance. So as the coach's corner today, I just challenge you to get out there and try to do what you can to work more on how you think so that your thoughts can change your actions and your actions can change uh, what you become in life. Let's, let's try to work on our feelings and try to gather more information. It doesn't mean you need to be abused. It doesn't mean you need to be harmed. It does mean you need to probably be more informed. Information has the power to shift us. We don't need more name-calling. I don't need more reactivity. I don't need people fighting because other people are fighting. I do need somebody to change, somebody to do something. Make sense? Okay. Fairly simple idea. Now, as you know, we like to always wrap up the show talking about a hero. One of my goals is also to help you see the good in the world. And I'm telling you, folks, day in and day out, there's just good people all around. Today, though, my hero of the day, Townsend's hero, is going to be Mailman Mike, who is the hero for four-year-old Carter Lawson. Listen to this story. You know, deliveries come in all shapes and sizes, especially in the case of the four-year-old Carter The Tennessee Tyke is proving to be his Knoxville neighborhood postman's biggest fan by not only helping him make his daily runs, but doing it in a matching blue outfit. Mailman Mike, the stray blonde boy, is heard calling out upon seeing his hero. After eagerly waiting around all afternoon, his cowboy boots seen kicking together on his porch, Mike's pint-sized pal is soon seen right at his side helping him deliver the mail and greet the neighbors. The endearing companionship is something both have enjoyed and looked forward to daily. He's the end of my day, uh, Mike said. He's the best part of my day, not just because it's the end, but because he's such a cute little guy. According to Carter's mother, their unusual friendship started with her son's fascination with Mike's mail truck. On particularly hot days, the little boy would greet him with water and a snack, and Mike would occasionally reciprocate with candy and a letter. Carter's mom, Cassie Lawson, said it's been such a treat to watch. Anyone could just go be like, ah, go away, kid. But Mike has really gone out of his way to interact with Carter. It's really been cute, she told the station that was reporting on this. With Carter's fascination only growing, she said they're planning to take a tour of the post office so he can see where it all begins. Folks, that's a true hero right there. Mailman Mike And uh, thanks, Mailman Mike, for, you know, making it different and uh, doing what you can to influence Carter Lawson. And for all of us, everybody out there, we all can be heroes. Let's make it a great life for everybody. Let's take care of each other. That is the goal of the show. We'll be back Monday. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. And until then, folks, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk to you again Monday.